0: From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter. Hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary
1: work. good to see you. Good to see you too. Well, hello everybody. And welcome to the 63rd episode of Stories of Service, Ordinary People Who Do Extraordinary Work. I'm the host of Stories of Service, Teresa Carpenter. And today, as I always do, I have another amazing guest, uh, Robin Phoenix Johnson. Robin, how are you doing today?
0: I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm great. It's Sunday at awesome. 2 o'clock. I'm with you, so it's great.
1: Yeah. I, and and I and I miss Robin because I I, I met her um, and as I said in the the show notes before the show that I put out um, I met her um, some years back I was at a uh, Sea Services Leadership Association conference and the minute I met her I was like oh my God she's my people I mean we just instantly uh, connected and I didn't know that you were even going to become a comedian or, or any of that I just thought you were really funny and cool and down to earth and I was like wow like people like her exist in the military oh my gosh. So, uh, just, you're welcome. So, just wonderful to have you on the show. And uh, today we're going to be talking about basically what, how you're showing what a post military transition can be. And she's using that skill uh, in in the in the comedy arena, uh, but not only to help make people laugh, but also to help them through some of their darkest periods too. And I can't wait to get more into that and again she's from Ohio or she went to Ohio State University we'll talk about that the Ohio State and so uh, we're kind of feeling bad today let's not <laughs> yesterday was a oh I heard I heard about what happened yesterday and I was I was I was not too happy except for my my friends who are from Michigan were gloating a little bit which does not yeah. make me happy but yes there's that All right so I'm going to read you guys a little bit about her and then we're just going to get right into the questions Um, In 1994, Lieutenant Colonel uh, retired Robin Phoenix Johnson enlisted in the Ohio National Guard and served as a 92 Yankee unit supply specialist. She was later commissioned through the Ohio State University ROTC program as a quartermaster officer. Her career highlights include five deployments to Afghanistan and Iraq, company commander, a company 603rd ASB, um, 3rd Combat Aviation Brigade, 3rd Infantry Division, Support Operations Officer, 3rd Cavalry Regiment, Special Assistant to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Battalion Commander, 526th Brigade Support Battalion, 2nd Brigade, 101st Airborne Division, and Employment Director for Soldier for Life, and that's where she made her transition. Her awards and decorations include Airborne, Air Assault, and Pathfinder badges, three Bronze Stars, and the Defense Meritorious Service Medal. But now we're going to be talking a lot about what her new mission is, and that is to heal people organizations, and communities through humor. She created the Best Medicine Brigade to give veteran and military spouse comedians performance opportunities and heal people with humor. Her passion is in the applied and therapeutic use of humor for mental health, which is why she also facilitates, and we'll talk more about these, Hilarious Heal Arias, a humor therapy program for veterans. She is a level two certified humor professional with the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor and a comedy boot camp instructor for the Armed Services Arts Partnership. She has been featured on USA Today, ABC, and Fox, and she was recently voted as Charleston's Best Comic of 2022. And she's currently on tour and has performed at the Carolines on Broadway, Atlanta Comedy Theater, Charlotte Comedy Zone, Bricktown Comedy Club, Louisville Comedy Club, and for corporate audiences all over the country. Wow, Robin, welcome. Thank you. You did such a good job on all that,
0: uh, that Army stuff. Good job, for Navy. Oh, I'm I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was not easy. And I'm, I'm working on holding the phone, as you guys can see. I, I read off of my telephone right here. But I'm working on holding the phone next to the camera. Uh, my husband uh, got me on me. He he always checks my sound and my audio. And he put in the last notes, he's like, you need to look up when you're reading the bios. So working working on, on trying to do that a little better. But first off, I really want to get why did you join the service, the army? Why the army? Uh, number one, why not the navy? Um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, really obvious right. I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> and, and and sort of a little bit about your your early journey within the services.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wish it was a glorious story, but I always wanted to do something in the military. I had a, a kind of a desire from probably eighth, ninth grade and I had a very serious high school boyfriend. We both wanted to be Marines. Uh, We were in a car accident uh, coming home from a date actually, and he was injured. He wasn't able to then go into the service. So I kind of felt like I couldn't go into the Marine Corps because I felt that would be disloyal to do that since it was his dream as well. And then um, I, I really wanted to go active duty, but my mom really wanted me to go to college. And so we kind of negotiated a mutual place with the National Guard and it just happened to be like the right time. The recruiter was just there and I felt like it was a good opportunity for me and for also like a pathway to, to college and some other things. And I thought, well, let's just do this for now. If I don't like it, um, I can always do something else later. So it was kind of impulsive wow. decision on the you- National Guard.
1: And I think that that's a lot of people's origin story. I I would love to tell you that mine was this great love of joining the dark nation and serving and being a part of a cause bigger than myself. But at the end of the day, I I was broke and I I just needed some direction in life and and I needed a job and and I thought the military was a path to do that. So a lot of times I believe that that really is sometimes the decision, but then you stuck through it and you made it all the way to retirement. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that decision and kind of going through the years and some of your various tours and and how that shaped uh, who you are today. Yeah, when I joined the National Guard, I did the
0: simultaneous membership program. So I was going to college while I was in the National Guard and then went through ROTC and got my commission. So if anyone's not familiar with that process, that's just a pathway to go on active duty. And then you have a four-year commitment. Well, I only ever planned to do my four years of active duty and I was going to be done. And that was it. Then I was gonna pursue another career and and get my master's degree and really had no intentions of staying a lifelong or career in the military but i met my husband and we met in our my second well both of our second assignment he was coming from flight school i was coming from korea we met at fort campbell we were reporting in on the same day the rest is kind of history we just celebrated 20 years of marriage last week and um, Thank you. And also, so, you know, I joined, I went on active duty in 99, which means my commitment was up in 2003. But well, what happened in one Nine eleven and then 03, the invasion. So, by oh, in the time of my end I had deployed twice, once Afghanistan and once Iraq. So, it was like, okay. Um, and the country needed us, and there wasn't a lot of people who would do what we were doing. And Quite frankly, I felt pretty good at what I did. I was um pretty proficient in my skills. So I thought, I can't leave now. We're at war. Like my country needs me. And also my and husband was, was uh, he's what an was Apache pilot.
1: Oh me, okay. and I and was, was a quartermaster.
0: Master. Yeah, I was logistics. And I had logistics. a specific um background in aviation refueling and um mm-hmm. was pretty knowledgeable in that. And so that was my Um, love and my husband being aviation it kept us assigned uh, in close proximity to each other in most cases. And he had a five-year commitment coming out of West Point. And so um, I knew that we as a couple weren't going to be done until 2004. Um, And that just seemed like a long time. So I just decided to stay in a little bit longer for him to finish. But then he wanted to, he loved flying Apaches. I mean, there's nothing in the world he loved more. And he wasn't going to give that up. He said he wanted to stay in as long as the army would have him, as long as he continued flying. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? That's an awesome job. Um so I just honestly kept staying in so we could stay together because I looked at the options for military spouses for careers and it didn't seem appealing to me at all. Mm-hmm. And also I love the army and I was, you know, enjoying my my time and And then before I knew I I don't think I really wanted to get out until I was about 10 years in and uh, we were having our first child and I was like, I want to get out. But then you're like 10 years in and this is still when we had the 20 years, you get retirement, not the blended retirement that we have now. I thought, man, I'm halfway there. If I just take it out 10 more years, I can retire. So I wish it was to say that, um, you know, I wanted to serve as long as possible for me it was very challenging balancing having the my two kids and my husband being deployed, me being deployed. It was just, it was a lot. And so I knew that I probably wasn't going to go past 20 years, much, much past 20 years.
1: You're, you're so brutally honest, Robin. And I really appreciate <laughs> no. that. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate you every back. senior leader I ever worked for. <laughs> no, but I mean, so many people will say like, Oh my gosh, I, I felt this, this pull and, and to serve, and I think we all feel that. But there's other considerations too that that keep mm-hmm. us in and keep us serving. And sometimes it's one of those things, like you said, where you've already done that much time and you've already devoted that much of your life to it, and you and you want to get to that place where you'll be able to have a little bit of those benefits on the back end. And uh, Scott Murphy uh, says, "Congratulations on 20 years of marriage." By the way, that is awesome, Scott. And that's the hard part. The deployments were nothing. <laughs> and it really is. I mean, and, and that's the thing you were having kids and being married to, a, to another military member. It's one of the, I feel like the hardest ways to go because a lot of the guys I serve with and, and, you know, most of us serve mostly with men. I mean, we're still primarily mm-hmm. men in the military. And, right. and I would say the majority of them have, spouses i know this is changing but the majority of the men i've served with had stay-at-home spouses and so you were not in that category so you had to constantly i'm sure go back and forth between your career his career all those kinds of things right
0: absolutely yeah that is so hard because you don't feel like you fit in anywhere like you can see it when you go to social events especially when you're senior and you and you're supposed to go talk with all the spouses all, and which is typically in my case, it was mostly wives. Although my husband was a military spouse, so I can't say that, but, but yeah, but then you like really want to go and talk with the guys that you work with every day, but you really don't feel like you should, because you should be over with the lady. It's, it's really so challenging. Weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I met some, I mean, I will say I had some great support from other military spouses who really did help me, especially when I was gone on long, long training exercises and deployments who supported my family Um, and also, um, my brothers, I mean, I had some male, um, comrades or, you know, fellow soldiers that were just like brothers to me, like really close family. And they supported my husband and were really good to him when I was,
1: um, gone and stuff too. So there is that. So yeah, Zarina Fleming says she absolutely loves your brutal honesty. And I do too. I think that like, you gotta keep it real. I mean, there's not very many, especially uh, women out there who will really, say uh what it's like especially like you said at those senior ranks because the more senior you get the the friendship pool of women just kind of goes down to you know and especially if you're a woman who deploys and goes into the operational billets uh it, it is incredibly hard uh, to find that camaraderie as you as you get more senior it's, it's something that i think all senior women uh, we struggle with and I, i'm curious did you you were you using humor even back then? Like tell me a little bit about how humor played a part in in handling some of these things that you went through in the military and did you know at that time it was going to lead to what you're doing now?
0: Well, I've always been a consumer of humor. I've always enjoyed comedy. I mean, from the time I was little little, like I would sneak down and listen to the opening monologue of the tonight show. Like and I would my mom would fuss me to go to bed. And like I was I used to love watching anything comedy, anything funny. Um my husband and I like it's our thing. Like when we go on dates, we go to dinner on a comedy show. That's just always what we've done. When I was a company commander, instead of having a keynote speaker at our ball, we brought in a comedian. Um, I've just always incorporated comedy. Uh, my favorite place to be with soldiers is down the motor pool because they are so funny. People say they love the troops or the soldiers or the enlisted ranks. And I hear a lot of leaders say, oh, I just love soldiers. I'm like, I love them because they're so funny. I mean, well, they, they crack me up. They really, yeah. I would much rather hang with them on a Friday night if I was allowed, you know, go yeah. listen no, to-, no, I- to Joe's like sitting around BSing, like it's so funny. Um yep. so that I, yeah but it also got me in trouble. I mean, I again, I speak the truth. I I'm brutally honest and sometimes I think say things that are I think are really funny but you know, now we're in like such a cancel culture, such a oh my gosh, you can't say anything cuz somebody's going to get offended and um I actually got a letter of reprimand. As a battalion commander, no way.
1: Really, I
0: did. And I thought what I said was completely harmless and super funny. Um, it was completely, and it was also taken out of context and then repeated and misrepeated. And you know how that goes, it's like playing telephone. Um, and yeah, and you know I was feeling like Dave Chappelle or something (laughs) like you're out of here. So, yeah, I I mean, a letter of reprimand is like a formal counseling statement, basically, but still, like, it, it made me realize. That it's just like it wasn't I, I was just ready for me to go. Like I was ready to like retire and be me because I was having to be
1: somebody who wasn't mm, on the I trade. can relate. I can totally relate to what you're saying, yeah. Robin. <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot of people in our pay grade that get to this place where it's like we've we've yeah. we've been through the system, we've we've had uh good times, good leaders, good experiences. But then like you said, there is, there is some kind of ways in which I think that the military is just not really ready for, for us to be as real and as brutal as sometimes we need to be in order to, uh, get the change that needs to happen. And you get to that place where it's like, Maybe this isn't the place for me anymore, and it sounds like that's where you got. Where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've done what I need to do here. It's time to move on. Yeah, definitely. I knew, I knew, and then,
0: and then the leadership around me. Like the the other thing is humor isn't appreciated. The skill and the value of being a creative, being witty, having that type of um, characteristic or attribute is not valued in our military
1: culture. In no. fact you kind of told not to be. Right. So there's, there's um, a seriousness and it's hard to culturally, I'm at NATO now and you find with a lot of the different cultures, there's even a, a harder line because you don't want to offend people who are from another culture. And so I feel like there is this, this reluctance to even crack a joke sometimes because yeah. people feel like, Oh shoot, am I going to, offend somebody and like you said with with cancel culture it's really it's really tough and this is probably going to get into more of like your career as a comedian what made you decide as you were transitioning that this was a you always loved community comedy you were a consumer of it but what made you say i can do that
0: well i didn't know if i could do it or not to be honest with you I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and quite frankly, completely lost. No idea. I had all these ideas. I was talking to mentors, doing all the normal soldier for life transition, going through the court, everything, you know, all that stuff still didn't know and everyone kept kind of steering me towards logistics because that's what i did in the military right and i'm like i don't want to do that if i still wanted to do that i would have stayed in the military and then Mm -hmm. i was going to be based in dc area and my husband still was staying in for another year so all the government contract jobs and i said i don't want to work do that either like i i was i just don't want um to do that so i went to vegas because that's where you go to find yourself apparently (laughs) I went for a real professional reason. It was actually for an Amazon Web Services um, conference called reInvent where um, and I was v- interested in getting into cloud uh, cloud practitioner work, um, not because I was interested in cloud, but because I liked the, the salary, quite frankly. And right. I was like, you know what? I can do that. I can learn that and I'll do that for a couple of years and, and whatever. I was so miserable um, going through this, these workshops and training that I end up not even finishing it. I end up sitting in the, um, airport bar in Vegas, talking with someone and telling them that like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go home and tell my husband that I wasted all this money on this conference to come out here and learn this cloud stuff. And, um, and he's going to be so upset, you know, that I don't know, cause I'm going to be, I was going to be out of the army in like 90 days and I didn't have a job. So uh, yeah, so he, the guy next to me said, Well, if you won the lottery, like if you went and hit the slot machine right now and you won millions of dollars and money had nothing to do with it, and not, there was nothing in your way, like no skill or degree, nothing. You could do whatever you wanted to do, like your absolute dream, what would you do? And without hesitation, I said, Oh, I'd be a stand up comedian he's like what are you funny like you know and I was like, I, I don't know but you know what that's what he was, then that's what you should do He's like, you've served your country for over two decades he's like you're getting your retirement pay like just do it And I' was like you can't just do it like you have to be funny you know so I go back home I tell him I walk in the door I tell my husband I'm like I'm gonna be a stand-up comic he's like interesting
1: okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh man. Wow. And did you think that he would support that? Or did you think that like, you'd still have to get a job and and, and you couldn't really focus on it? I mean, was it something that you thought initially that it was something? I mean, how did you even you got started by doing the ASAP Armed Services Arts Partnership course, correct? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. And can you tell our our audience uh, for anyone who's not familiar with it a little bit about that program?
0: Yeah, well, so back to the question about my husband, I, I knew my husband would support me no matter what I wanted to do. I knew he would be supportive. Um, what he wouldn't be supportive of is me living on our current lifestyle budget. So there would have to be some adjustments. And I wasn't real thrilled about that because we had grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle, you know, and um, so I knew that this would be something that I would have to really love to do to do that. Um, and then I did take the Armed Services Arts Partnership comedy boot camp course which is a free course for veterans or uh, military dependents and they're pretty broad in who they accept so like if you had a parent that served or um, if you had a spouse that served you should really look at it Uh, and it's not just comedy they offer storytelling they offer other creative arts and it's really great it's no cost to the participant yeah so i took that and i graduated and by the time i graduated that's when i knew that i could do i felt i had enough skill to continue. And if I didn't make a living at it, I could at least make an impact and help other people.
1: I love that. You're right. And it doesn't need to be necessarily something that you get paid for. I think that's sort of the bonus when you're doing a creative art, but it's not why you do it. I I don't get anything for this podcast. I just love having these conversations. And, you know, it's not as though I would say no, if someone were to be like, here's, thousands of dollars, but at the same time, I would do it regardless. And so I think that's maybe how you had to approach this was, okay, I'm gonna live off less than money than what I'm accustomed to. We're gonna make some changes into the, into the way we live, but in return, we're gonna do exactly what we wanna do with our time. Was yes. that how you saw it? Wow. That's so inspirational.
0: It really it's is. scary at first because it's scary at first, but it's so liberating
1: it's so freeing to get up and do what you really want to do right so tell me about some of the steps because you really are you're you are i mean robin you are living your dream and so i'm curious and and, and i'm not saying it's all perfect and every day sunshine and roses but how did you start laying that initial groundwork uh To get to where i read this bio and you're now got usa today and you have all these tours and dates and all this that doesn't happen overnight so tell me a little bit about what that process was like starting out
0: yeah and to be completely honest if there's people that are going to watch this that are aspiring comics or new it's pretty rare in three years to, to go from where i started to a national tour, right? That's, that's, and it's not any, it's just some of it's luck and timing, some of it's hard work. um So I don't want to set any misconceptions. It's a lot of writing. The first is, well, I started during COVID. So I started December of 2019, is when I said, I'm going to be a comedian. Now we're in December of 2022. So it's not been a whole lot of time. Right. Yeah. It's not been a whole lot of time, but I write almost every day after journals and journals and books and I mean I have one right here I take I take a notebook with me everywhere um so being a very disciplined writer is probably the first step and then the amount of hours I've put into open mics just to practice open mics are like karaoke's for comedians (laughs) we go and practice and sometimes you might only get three minutes based on whoever's running the open mic and you might have to listen through three hours of other people going up there just to get your three minutes so, it's a lot of practice and work. I mean, there was when co after things opened back up, I was going like six nights a week to open mics.
1: Have you ever bombed? Or oh, have yeah. you ever? So, tell me what that's like. Tell me. I mean, I'm sorry. I just I'm so curious about this career because yeah. I think it's something that uh, I, I'm, I'm just insanely I don't know if it's something I could do or not do, but I think it's something that very few people attempt. And a lot of people say they want to do it. And I'm curious at what that feels like I've definitely given a speech that didn't resonate. So I know what that's like, but I don't know what it's like trying to make people laugh and then they don't laugh.
0: Yeah. Well, you get a lot of practice at open mics because open mics are mostly other comedians and they're not paying attention to you 90% of the time anyways, because they're worried about their material or their writing or distracted. So like you kind of get a little sense of what it's like. I don't think I've ever bombed like really, really bad. Like I've never gotten booed off the stage, but like yeah. definitely like the audience wasn't vibing with me and it just didn't feel like my jokes were landing. Um, and then I sped up my pace a little bit because I got nervous because I didn't feel like they were, getting a response and then there was a couple places where i stepped on a laugh like like they were laughing and then i went to the next joke before they were done laughing so i cut them off so then they stopped laughing there's a lot of art and science to the delivery of Mm -hmm. jokes um yeah but you know what i've also given a qtb with quarterly training brief to a commanding general that just stared at me like this (laughs) so you know i mean it was like, you, you there's like, if you've ever worked in the Pentagon and it's sucked the soul out of you, like, kind of feels like that, you know, or like you just have to bring like, a senior leader and they're just like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: I have. That has happened. Yes. You're like, oh, well,
0: oh well, like, I didn't get fired Great. today. So.
1: And that's the only way you're going to learn how to get better is that, yeah. you You know, it's just like anything else. You're not going to be perfect at it. The first few times you go up there and, and you probably might get maybe one or two laughs and maybe that's it. And that's going to be the way it goes. Right. How is subjective Teresa,
0: like it's subject subjective. So like if you have a hundred people in the audience, there's a good chance that 30 of people of that hundred are not going to think you're funny or not going to like certain jokes. Other people will like, you know, if I'm, if there's a group of single people in the audience and I'm telling jokes about my kids and they don't have kids, like it might not resonate with them.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Wow. So what were some of the Points in the career where you started to have those launch points like what what did you can you pinpoint some of the places because like you said it's very rare for someone in in just a short period of time now to have a national tour so what were some of the the points in your comedy career where you sort of pivoted and you launched into and you could tell like oh shoot this is this is growing what were some of those points
0: well one would be winning the best of charleston um voted in the city paper but and i certainly did not expect that it was a huge surprise so that was um a, a pretty significant moment and then after that it it did, doesn't mean i'm really the best in charleston right there it's it's all voting and whatever but it means that there's a large bit of this city that believes in the work i'm doing has you know thought that i was good enough to vote for um but that gives you credibility which then gives you more access to bookers and more justification to get time on bigger stages. And so that was a, um, getting to work with Bing, uh, productions. Um, they are producing the tour that I'm uh, working on now. So that was all really, I think I would lend that to the Charleston, the best of Charleston. I don't think if I had won that, that I would have even been considered for that. And then just my work with the VA hospital so i work with inpatient mental health patients and outpatient but what that has done is given me practice so every time i go in there and i work with them i'm working new material and they are the toughest audience on the planet like if you ever if you can imagine going into what is feels like a jail and doing new comedy that you're working on for people with depression who are not there on by their own accord many are bipolar schizophrenic manic like and you perform for them and you can get out of there with a couple laughs like that will make you it's it's like running in high altitude it conditions you so much better than you know regular altitude training so that really I think propelled me a little bit further and faster
1: how has comedy helped you in your own personal mental health journey? Well, that's why I started it. I mean, I,
0: I really, I think I my main thing was I was focused on me, like getting myself right. Because that was, when I was transitioning out, I was not in the best mental health place. So that's, it's helped me just see the world in a different perspective or lens. You, it's hard to be depressed when you're smiling and laughing. You know, you can't be yeah. frustrated and angry. And then also, um, I think of everything as material. So like a couple weeks ago, I tore my hamstring, uh, which unfortunately I have to have surgery on this week. But like I could have been really upset about that. And it's painful and I'm frustrated because it's going to like ruin my like ruin my holidays. But, you know, you just make jokes out of it. And so every time, and this is what I teach the patients that I work with at the VA, is you take the subject and you say, what's hard about that? What's frustrating? What's scary? And then you take and make a joke about it and you turn it into something that will make you laugh or see it in a more positive light. And that's the power that humor gives you.
1: That's brilliant. And it's it's really hard to do when you're in that muck of the muck. You just don't even want to think about how it can be funny, what you're going through. A lot of times I just try not to think, I think to myself, the woe is me, like, like, come on, Teresa, like what you're dealing with is not that bad. And, and, and that's that sort of helps me a little bit because I think about like, you know, there's so many people who are, who are suffering. I mean, everybody has problems. I think that's one of my biggest revelations as I've gotten older is, is realizing that we're all struggling and we're all trying to just get through life and figure figure it out. And uh but you think when you're going through something you're like, "Oh my god, it's just so terrible." But yep. it, it everyone's got got something something that they're dealing with, you know. Yeah. And yeah, and like I was uh cut off in
0: traffic one day. This is early on in my comedy pursuit. It was on 395, as you know, like leaving the DC area. And um it was just like this like um like car was a smart car and they just cut me off there was like very little merge no merge way and they just like almost like hit the edge of my car and i was like oh my gosh i'm so mad like honk the horn and then i thought oh that's kind of funny actually it's a smart car and the girl's drinking a smart water and she's on her smartphone but she drives like she's stupid like that is hilarious (laughs) It wasn't really hilarious but to me it helps me take that anger and frustration and just go okay, that was kind of funny. like, we can get through this. You only have one hour till you get another mile.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's just sometimes those little, those little thoughts that you can do. I mean, it's almost like you're sort of healing yourself through, through this mental uh, exercise of finding, of finding something that's funny about it or finding that, that part of the story that that will that will make somebody smile or or make someone else laugh when you tell the story how did you get better at your storytelling what was some of the techniques that you used uh, to work on that
0: well there's a book called new the new comedy bible by Judy Carter which gives you a lot of the structure of a joke and some techniques and ways to perfect your uh, that uh, that's one two is i have a coach um hmm. I have- I have a coach, a professional coach who's been doing comedy for 30 years. Um, She and I meet uh, almost weekly uh, to to go over my material and my delivery. She watches all my videos and my performances and and gives me feedback. Three is just getting out there and doing it. It's just like anything else. Mm -hmm. You got to put the reps in and you start to learn. I video and film every oh, I would not say every I'd say 90 percent of my performances. I film and it's just like, you know, the football teams do or athletics, Mm -hmm. they watch the tape the next week and they go back and they look and they make adjustments. You go, Oh, you know, like I wasn't playing with the mic cord or people were laughing and I started the new joke too soon, or I chased that laugh or I should have cut off there. I should have stopped, or I didn't finish that joke as strong as I wanted to, or it could have been more, um, exaggeration on the certain word. So it's constantly perfecting. I mean, you'll hear about the pros. I mean, it's not uncommon for people like Dave Chappelle. They'll go eight, nine hours uh, into a comedy club as they're preparing for a special and just work their material.
1: Wow. Will they? So they will, th- th- yeah, because I, I haven't heard about that. I've heard that even like Joe Rogan, he'll still go into the comedy clubs mm-hmm. and he'll do stand-up and and just, yeah, get get all his material in a, in a session before he'll go on like a world tour or, or whatever. And yeah. and, and, it, and what you're saying is no different than any other craft. When you think about it, it doesn't matter if it's podcasting or if it's comedy or if it's yeah. painting and nothing, everything that you do, it just takes that hard work, the repetition reps and sets, as they say in the military. Uh, you just have to keep doing it over and over again and then be open to that feedback. And I like the fact that you said you have a coach. A lot of people think that they can do this stuff alone. And I I don't think it's possible to have a craft and then not work with someone one-on-one who can, who can guide you. Do you, would would you agree with that?
0: Not if you want to be a professional, if you're just an amateur and you're content doing it for yourself and for fun. Great. If you want to be a professional and you want to get paid to do this, then you absolutely need a coach. I, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think, I think every major performer or a comedian probably has had a writer, a coach, somebody at some point doing something to help them hone and, and, um, perfect their
1: act or performance. So where do you see everything going now at this point? Like, how are things with, with like the family and, and like this whole nother direction? Cause I believe your husband, he also retired at the same, that's what I thought. Like you guys are both yes. retired now. Really? And so it, it's, it's, is he going to, are you intending to stay in South Carolina or Are you guys, or what's, what's the plan at this point?
0: Yeah, we're staying at Isle of Palms. It's a little island off the barrier of, um, barrier island of Charleston, South Carolina. He, this is where he's from. Got a lot of family in the nearby area. This is definitely home for us for forever. Um, but yeah, we're just going to enjoy it. And kids are nine and 12. And so he, he works a little bit part-time as a government contractor here and there. Uh, but most of the time he surfs and he's a stay at home dad and house husband and supports me traveling and working. So, yeah, I've got lots of projects for him, though. It's like never ending list of projects. So
1: <laughs> he's. busy. Yeah. yes, yes. I have the same in my house. Um, what advice would you give to people who are transitioning and they want to pursue not only comedy, but they want to pursue their craft or their love? What would What advice would you give them? Well, one, I mean if you really
0: love something and you do it you just go a hundred percent you know if you really really want to do it, go a hundred percent and it's work like you gotta understand like it is a ton of work what you see for if you see me perform 20 30 minutes on stage that was easily two three hundred hours of writing perfecting practicing so, Um, You know, don't underestimate that. And then um, I'd say surround yourself with like-minded or people who are in the same, like for me, I have my community of armed services arts partnership comedians. That's why I founded Best Medicine Brigade because there was, I knew there were veteran comedians and military spouse comedians all over the country, but like we weren't really connected. So I wanted to create a place where we could all come together and have conversation and support each other. So definitely have a community or, or connect with some other people that are like you.
1: Okay. And then is there anything else that I didn't ask you or anything else that you want to add before we close out the show? Gosh, we went by fast. That was really fast timing. Um, fast. That's what I'm saying if there's anything else that, that, yeah. I, that you'd like to talk about or that I didn't touch upon...
0: Well, um, I'd love to talk about Best Medicine Brigades a little bit. So um, this is a group of 18 comedians. They are military spouses and veterans, um, all professional comedians. Uh, you may have seen them um, on TikTok or Instagram, Ashley Goodermuth, um, Dwayne White, PT Bratton. I mean, there's a whole list of them, Noah Miller, and they're all available for booking. They do private and Club, you know, they do comedy clubs, but they also do corporate events. They do a lot. So, if um, anybody's looking to kind of level up your event, um, we have all of their bios, headshots, and video clips on our website at bestmedicinebrigade.com. So, I'd love to have more veterans and military spouses get to like tell their story through comedy. And that's really what it's all about is like our voices need to be heard, and we're so underrepresented in the industry. More Veterans and comedy, I think, is better. So that would be the one thing. And we are going to be going on tour next year in 2023. So I'm really excited to. This is, I haven't even announced it. I'm announcing it first time. Oh, on- I get
1: to be the first time on my podcast. So yeah. Oh, I'm
0: excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are. So be, um, stay, you know, they can subscribe to our newsletter on our website or just follow us on, um, social media and we'll be announcing the cities and the dates um, right after the new year. And the cool part about this tour is we are also going to be growing the brigade. We are looking for the funniest veterans and military spouses in America, or really in the world, but from the US military. Um, And so we're gonna be doing some auditions and kind of like an American Idol type (laughs) thing, but only comedy and looking for the funniest Um, So you have to be either currently serving a veteran or a military spouse or former military spouse. So yeah, that's all part of it. So it's going to be a really exciting thing. I think it'll be a lot
1: of fun. That's awesome, Robin. And it's so much needed. I mean, as you're talking about it, I'm sitting here thinking like how many of my command functions would have been enhanced if we had hired um, a veteran comedian? I mean, that would have been such a an amazing opportunity. And I, I do believe that there's such a, a need not only for the comedians, but then people like uh, the, the gentleman I had on a couple weeks ago, Jeff, he uh, is a motivational speaker and he speaks about, you know, a very painful experience that he went through, but how he learned through that experience. And I really believe the military would benefit greatly. We have all these formal events, but we never invite comedians or guest speakers or, or any of the people like that i get to talk to on the show uh to present and i think that would definitely be something that your organization could could help with at some point later on down the road um i think as i close this out i guess um my last question would just be what uh where where, where would you want to see yourself you know 10 15 years from now yeah um
0: oh. I want to also add so we're actually doing more and more of those i'm actually doing a military ball in two weeks oh I'll, I'll be you happy. are yeah, yeah we are do friends. a lot you know it's weird it varies like there's some installations that are like yeah let's do it and then there's some that are like no we might offend somebody i'm, mm-hmm. I'm like well tell us the content restrictions we're professionals right. like this is what we do um so we we can abide by those i have completely clean like church clean comedians and then i have uh, not so clean so Anyway, right. we, we actually are doing quite a few. I probably have like, I've probably done over a hundred military events, um, both virtual and in person. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see like which commands are open to it and which aren't, um, mm-hmm. but again, we, that's like what we talked about earlier is it's just like the cancel culture, like the, oh, right. I don't want to get fired. If somebody says something that offends somebody. Um, all right. 15 years from now, I'm, I'm writing a book called Hilarious. So that would be published. And I'd really like uh, for this humor therapy program, the one that I'm working on with the VA as a pilot program here in Charleston, South Carolina, to be scaled. I think mm-hmm. the humor therapy yeah. has a real place. I think the VA is moving, um, has moved to a whole health wellness you know, approach. And I think that there is a place for humor therapy. I mean, they do yoga, they do Tai Chi. You know, they do other modalities and things. So I don't, 15 years from now, I think that there should be a lot more VA facilities or even private um, practice hospitals um, that would do uh, humor therapy. Because even if you're not a veteran, if you are terminally ill or have a long-term illness, I really think humor can help reduce your pain, reduce your stress and anxiety and really help get through, through the treatment for that. So yeah, that's why I would say 15 years, that's my goal.
1: That's amazing. I, I'm so happy for you. And uh, it's just nice to to meet somebody like yourself who's who's truly blazing a trail. Like there isn't anybody I know of out there who's ever done what you've done. And I'm so fortunate that you've decided to spend an hour with me to, to talk about this stuff because it's so so important, and we need more people in the comedy space that are from the military and who can go out and educate the American people in a in, in that way and and give that kind of delivery uh, there isn't there isn't that many people out there doing it, just like we need more veterans in film and television. We need more yes. veterans in comedy and
0: we do do you see, do you have how many female veteran comedians do you know? You're the only one. There's you are and the, even in male, comedians, the mm-hmm. in male comedians. I know Rob Riggle, who's really an actor. I mean, I think he considers himself an actor more than a comedian. I know Drew Carey was a veteran, but like really underrepresented.
1: And right. even w- w-
0: w- women veterans in film and television.
1: You just, like, yeah, you don't, you don't see it. I mean, there is another, um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's another organization that, and I just don't remember his name, but you know, the, he was a former Marine, tall, skinny guy. He's an actor. Um, God, he's like one of the best too. He's like one of the Uh, great. No, no. I I know his name. He was in, he's like a quirky guy. He always plays kind of these quirky characters anyway. It'll come Mm -hmm. to me when I'm off the show and it won't matter anymore, but he has his own organization as well. It's kind of like an ASAP uh organization and uh we've worked with them in my public affairs hat a couple times and Mm -hmm. uh but other than him and uh there is actually a a colonel uh marine corps who he's he's doing he just retired and he's doing um a little bit of this in, in television and film but really like you said robin it's 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 the far and the few in between it, it isn't it isn't very many and uh, there needs to be more of them out there because this stuff is so important and more people need to understand what you guys bring to the table and how you can help people heal it's 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 so it's so hard i just can't even over overemphasize how important it is um I, is there I'm any
0: i'm glad you brought that up because um i wanted to kind of talk about this and we didn't get a chance to so i guess i'll bring it to like do you have anything else you would talk about um <laughs> it is i never imagined being in front of the camera as much as i am and um and you have to be out there on social media so i'm on instagram a lot and like doing reels and by the way it's robin phoenix johnson but uh, it actually is draining it is draining and at 46 years old like i don't want to be in front of the camera anymore like i'd much rather would promote like some of the other younger comedians like i have a whole bunch i'm like y'all look better on camera like i need a whole lot of botox and fillers like it's a lot right here okay so, and i'm very you know and i'm self-conscious like i've never had great skin like i have a lot of critiques about myself i just i'm, I'm one of those people who doesn't like to be but you have to be so that's the problem is like you don't want to be but you have to be um, But I do, I do want more women veterans to come forward and be like, Hey, like I'll be in front of the camera or I'll, I'll speak up because it's exhausting and it drains you. Like, I mean, I'm supposed to be producing according to like industry or the algorithm, like three Instagram reels a day and constantly creating content. And I'm just, it, it it's like, it sucks your soul out of you. Like it's fun, but then it gets like, some days you're like, I don't feel like putting on makeup. Like, I don't like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like, doing my hair
1: i just want to be in a messy bun and yoga pants yeah i don't know how these young girls do it like i don't know how these influencers in fact i'm having two on my show next month uh kelly renee hall and god i am i'm I'm having i'm having amnesia on names today but i'm having two of them next month and they always look camera ready they always look made up and i did a whole post on this about like how yeah. is it that all these people look so perfect? I look splotchy. I have frizzy hair. I, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. how oh, is... This. This. <laughs> you know, I have my gray coming like in. Looking at myself <laughs> my, yes, I have the yeah. same thing. We're, we're the same age, Robin. And and so, you know, I, I don't get it either. And I, I think that's like that cult of perfectionism, though, that we've yeah. all convinced ourselves that we can't go on social media unless we have... The perfect hair the perfect makeup the perfect this and and you know i I get i get happy when i see somebody being real on social media and whose hair isn't done up and who isn't wearing a ton of makeup i I get very happy about that because then i'm like oh yeah that's somebody i can relate to they're they're real and you just don't you don't see that very often uh on these on these channels and and i wish that we would see more of it i really do and i don't give a shit Sorry, pardon my French. I don't care about the algorithm. I really don't. Like yeah. I can have two likes and it could be my family members. And maybe I'd be <laughs> I'd be glad that I was at least speaking my truth, I guess. Yeah. But that is my pet peeve. Sorry. I didn't mean to go onto that tangent, but no, I, 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 have I hate
0: just, it. I have just started John Cosmo, who is the CEO of Bang Productions Television, who I mentioned I work with. They he has just convinced me to be more me, to be more authentic and i'm like john like can you not use this footage like i look so fat because i'm 140 pounds i mean the scale says 170 but whatever so i'm like (laughs) i identify as 140 okay um but i'm always like that angle makes me look at it and like it's too much my pores look too big or this he's like robin just be you he's like people don't care like they will appreciate it more if you're just authentic and that's what makes you so great like you're authentic you're the real deal like you just say it like it is they would rather see that than like oversized lips and perfect you know filtered skin because everyone knows it's filtered it's not even like real so i finally am embracing it and i'm getting closer like i still wear makeup when i film but i'm not like doing all those crazy snapchat filters and stuff so
1: that's good that's good yeah i'll tell you my best posts are usually the ones that are the rawest and when i'm in like this very vulnerable share space like I did one maybe a few months ago when uh, I was in Germany and the loneliness was just starting to really drive me crazy, and I had a guy friend who turned out to not be such a great friend, blow me off, and I was very hurt by that. And uh, I decided to, to make a video in my car, and it to this day is one of my most popular videos. And it it was really the day that I really came to the conclusion that yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out. Like this is I, I'm done after this tour, and that was. That was kind of, it was a turning point, And I wanted to sort of mark it with a video to say like, okay, I, these, I, I'm tired of not being, especially on trips. I'm tired of being on trips with all these men and they're not my people. They're good guys, good men, good people, but they're not the kind of people that, that get me a lot of times. And mm-hmm. I, I was just, I was, fed, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't, it's not worth it. Um, and so that was sort of that day. But I tell you, like those posts when I make them, and like you say, when you're just yourself and you're real, people people do want more of that. They 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 really do because they're coming to those channels to see you, not to see the makeup and the filters and all that other crap. So that's
0: true. That is so I'm so glad we met so many years ago because we you you were right, like the beginning. We clicked like right away. I was like, that's my people right there. Yeah, you just have, like you know when you have that energy connection mm-hmm. with somebody and your spirits are like aligned and i was like you are so authentic so genuine so creative i think when you when you meet another creative you can feel that yes, yes. also somebody who's willing to like not drink the kool-aid and just say whatever the party line is um and i had never honestly you and uh you know rosie too or like the two coolest navy people i was like oh, wow there's rosie. cool people in the navy wow <laughs>
1: like yeah I rosie is, is my Yeah. Oh, I know, I know. And and you know, and it it makes me bittersweet to be honest with you. And I'm sure you felt this way about getting out of the military as well. Is like you 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 know there are so many good people and you know there are so many ways to make a difference and and to push change, but you also know that you're this weird, freaky, creative person that sometimes nobody gets and they're gonna give you the blank like you said, like when you talked about the the blank stare, the thousand I get it all (laughs) the thousand yard stare when you're talking and you're like, Yes, oh gosh i i can't keep doing this these they don't they don't get what i'm trying to say and 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 now and so when i met you robin i just knew and it was funny because it was like you were sitting there and it was like i had talked to you for maybe three minutes and i was like oh, there we go I, I i got i got one of my i got a creative i got another person like me in the military oh, didn't know existed <laughs> i felt like in the army especially
0: from my last i not not so much at soldier for life but like prior to that like honestly, like my, most of my 05 time and some of my major time, um, I felt like I was a whole lot of hot pink color in a black and white world. And nobody, I did not, I just didn't fit in. I did not feel like I fit and I mm-hmm. was so much just trying to play the part and smile and be what I was supposed to be and fit in the little box. And and I just was like, I wanted to scream. Because I had all these ideas and of ways that things could be better, and I didn't feel, Mm
1: -hmm. and they weren't going to be supported, yeah,
0: not supported, not appreciated, Mm -hmm. and I just stopped. I just stopped sharing my ideas, and I just started to just shut up and color. And you can only shut up and color for so long um, before you're just like, if I can't make a difference or make an impact, then it's time for me to go. Yep, because I I didn't feel valued at all.
1: Yeah, and yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm getting in, in my career now. Granted, I have a very good gig now, and, I, and I'm very happy. But in general, the atmosphere and the environment that we're in and the box that we're placed in, especially as creatives, I, I just don't think that the military is ready to innovate in the way that I think they would need to to be ready for things to get better to the next level. There's too much incentive, I feel, for things to stay the status quo. Because there really isn't yet and i have faith in people like representative crenshaw and others who have seen some of the things that are going on in our military at the top levels um i just don't think yet that we're being held to task enough by the american people and there's not enough stew shellers or others out there that are willing to raise the flag and say this is bs Uh, military. uh, Why are you spending all this money on these things that don't get results and the ways which we promote officers? I mean, we, you and I could go on and on and on about all these things. And I've talked to a lot of people about it. And I think that um, you get to this place, Robin, and it sounds like that's where you were, where, you know, you can make a bigger impact outside the military than you can in it. And so that's when, you know, it's time to walk away because you just can't. And you're not fitting into the system. And it sounds like it's just so right. funny how your path is so similar to mine. Yeah.
0: And when I was getting out, I had a couple senior leaders go, now don't be, because, you know, don't be um, angry or bitter. I'm like, I am so happy. Like, I am the happiest I have been. And I like, "No, oh, really, Like, you're going to miss the army and you're going to be resentful and bitter. And I was like, "Um, I and jumping for joy like i i feel so free although i will tell you there are moments when i watch the recruiting numbers and the challenges that we're having with recruiting the next generation um there's a part of me that still wants to help fix the problem and i know i have so many ideas on how they could fix it but then again i don't feel like they'll ever do it i don't feel like they can get out of their own way to do it um because it there's so many funny things that they could do in using humor and other things, um,
1: creative ways to recruit yeah. people yeah, no i I, I would agree, and I, I think that part of it is that the money and the and you know there isn't again there I, I love Stu Scheller, he's great, but we need more people like him who who may not just put it all on the line but are still willing to speak up. And there just isn't enough people who who have done what he did and have pointed out the things that he's pointed out. He can't be the lone wolf who who's doing this. And I know, like I said, I believe in Representative Dan Crenshaw. He sees a lot. Of the, I listen to his podcast and he sees a lot of the same things. He just had the Pineapple Express guy on there who had helped get a lot of the people out of Afghanistan. So there are some people who are raising the flag and, and, and holding the military accountable. And I think that's really what needs to happen in order for the military to make fundamental changes in the way we do business is that, uh, people need to look at some of the things that we've been doing for as long as we've been doing it and say, okay, we need to do things differently. And it's okay for even people like myself in uniform on active duty to say things. (laughs) It is okay. We have freedom of speech and, uh, Unfortunately, people have been scared into silence and they won't speak up and speak out. And I think that also is unfortunate because that's what we were founded on. We're founded on freedom of speech. And if more people in uniform would just simply speak up and, like you said, be willing to go on camera uh, and, and forego uh, how they look and how they, you know, and, and just do that, then maybe we would get some of those changes. So I will keep fighting and I will keep, uh I know like you, you said, will. I'm excited to see your next chapter. So when's your retirement? So I'm going to be getting out. Hopefully, um, I haven't really announced it publicly, so this will probably oh. be the first time. So if anybody, but if anyone's listened to this podcast for this long, uh, they they might catch it. But uh, August 2024. So. I've been telling everyone that's when it is. That's uh, my last uh, month and year here in the UK. So I'm hoping to finish uh, here at this NATO command. I'm at Allied Maritime Command. I have a Greek surface warfare officer boss who I just adore. I have the best team. Like I couldn't ask to walk away on a a better or a higher note. And that's also how I knew it was time because I have the opportunity in this work climate to walk away and be uh, to be in a, a wonderful place. So. It's a good thing and we'll have to just see what comes next the podcast um i've like i said I'm, I'm i'm interested in comedy i'm interested in storytelling and just seeing what comes next but you are an inspiration to me robin um i i see what you've done and i'm like wow she's she's got that blueprint and you've done the work too it isn't just you know you said you were going to do it and you do it and that's it you you did the work and uh that that shows so i i really admire mm-hmm. you and i think that I'm, I'm so honored, like I said, to bring your story to everyone. Thank you, Teresa.
0: I'm ready for you to get out. I'm going to bring you, look, I feel like women should help other women. So I'm going to pull you right into all the fun. Like we'll be, you'll be way ahead of the game.
1: Thank you. So as we close out the show, we're about at the hour mark. Um, where can people find you? Uh, BestMedicineBrigade.com
0: is my website. Robin at BestMedicineBrigade.com is my email I'm on Instagram at Robin Phoenix Johnson and Facebook at Robin Phoenix Johnson. I'm a little bit on TikTok, but mostly Instagram.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys need to go check her out. She's amazing. She's funny. She's helping people and she's blazing a trail for people like myself to follow. So I will meet you backstage. I'm going to go on full screen okay. uh, just for a moment. But I want to thank all of you guys for watching tonight. Um, I will be back again next week. I've got a pretty full lineup, actually, this whole month and next month. Uh, so been doing this every week. So I've been getting in a lot of the guests that I've been wanting to get in uh, for quite some time. So thank you all for watching tonight. Uh, appreciate your time. And uh, I hope you have an amazing week. I'll talk to you all later now. Bye.